My name is Kim, and I get the privilege of reading scripture for us this morning. Um, but first, uh, thank you for being here, being present, and worshiping together. It's so good to be together with you all. This morning, I'll be reading Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, you are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Mosaic. It's so good to be with you. Um, I know I've been introduced, but my name is John Chang. And uh, I just love Mosaic. It's always felt like home here. And I just want to say thank you for inviting me uh, to speak and to preach and to talk and to open up scriptures and to dive into his word. I think we all understand that these are not words, that this really is living, that this really, the scriptures really are a place for us to really engage God. And we are in a series this summer um, titled God Saves, God Saves, and it's really multifaceted as you kind of go through these stories because you see how God interacts with humanity, how he works through the world, how he, how he moves through difficult spaces, and, and how people are interacting with a God who has this authority and power and capacity to do all of that. And as you go through that, as we go through that uh, together, there, there's this reality that there's also kind of different angles to who God is and how and how he saves, and that's kind of the beauty around God, because God is so multifaceted, he's multidimensional, he's relational, right? And so uh, today I want to look at it kind of a different facet, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, I went to the Smithsonian uh, in Washington, D.C. with my family, we, we uh, toured way too many museums, but that's another story, um, and I went to the, the Science Museum, and there in the geology section is this thing called the Hope Diamond, ever seen this, you know what this is, it's like 45 carats, and this huge thing, and it would just literally rotate on this churning table, and it was encased, and every time it churned, you would say, like, oh my gosh, like, that is a different diamond, but it's the same diamond, this hope diamond, in the same way, when we look at this God who saves, it will look different every week, but it's the same God who saves, right? Same God. Maybe different contexts, maybe different stories, maybe different situations, but the same God who is constantly, always saving those that he loves. And um, today I want to look at kind of an angle uh, about what one is experiencing when God is being saved. Uh, specifically looking at how one sh is engaging God. And then the second piece is when, when, did, when do you know God is actually saving you? Like actually when do you know he's delivering you? Or supporting you? Because if you're like me, there have been moments, I'm sure we all have experienced this, where we say, is God even in this right now? You look at suffering in the world. You look at suffering in your life. You look at things going on in your school or in your neighborhoods. And you go, where is God in this? 
And so I want to take the psalm that we read today, Psalm 3, to look through that. Now, the backstory of Psalm 3 is David's reign. This is uh, uh, 2 Samuel, okay, 2 Samuel chapters 14 through 15. But we're going to look at what David is experiencing as he's going through a lot of stuff. And the backstory is that David is on the run. He's trying to escape uh, a coup that is basically trying to kill him, assassinate him, and take his throne. And Absalom is the one who is leading all this. Now, here's where the dysfunction gets really nuts and crazy and just over the top. It's, it's his son who's doing and leading all of this against David. His son. I mean, it's a pretty jacked up home. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? And yet God uses, I think, misfits and brokenness and all of that for his ultimate glory. But in this space, David is on the run, and we find him now saying some things, writing some things down as he's trying to figure out what is next. And he says this in verse 1, Lord, how many are my foes? How many, how many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. In the ESV, it says God won't save him or his soul. And that thought around many, right, that lifts off the page, many and many and many, that's how David is experiencing this moment. It's well into his reign. So he's been king for a while, but he's lonely. He's surrounded. He's isolated. He doesn't know what's next. Probably asking, where is God in this? But really cuts is what people are saying about him, that God will not deliver him. Right? The, the verb there is not cannot, because cannot would imply capacity, that God cannot do that work. But this is not a cannot situation. This is a will not, which means to God, God can, but not for David, which is a lot of heartache for David, which is to say there's something wrong with David, that he doesn't meet the standard, that there's something wrong with his, his character, his situation, that it's, it's because he's not enough, and that God won't save him. And I imagine that sometimes in our lives, we kind of sit in our situations and we say, like, this is pretty, pretty difficult. And maybe we often feel like God can't save this situation or me in it. Or maybe we feel like we're damaged goods because of something that happened. Or maybe there's a relationship that has just completely gone sideways. And now it's like, how do we, how do we get back to center? Or maybe it's health. Maybe it's your health. Maybe, maybe, maybe we've come to this place where we're like, oh my gosh, like, this is, why would God want to save this? And we think that we're, we're just, we're alone. Instead of David turning into his own character, he could, you know, beat his chest, pound the table and say, like, but yeah, but look at all the things I'm doing right as king. He could, he could do that, but he does something different. And I think it's stunning. He says this in verse three. He says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, but you, Lord, are. Not, not, David's not like, but this is me. Like, he, he doesn't go, he doesn't say, but look at what I've done. He says, but he leans into the character of God, right? He leans into what he knows is real about God, not what is about himself, because he knows if he stares too long in himself, he'll just spiral and spin and stay in that isolated space where he cannot get out of, because he knows he needs a God. And so he goes to God and looks at his character, and he says this, but you, but you are a shield around me. When you think of a shield... What do you think of? Let's talk. When you think of a shield, you're like, wait, can I say something? Yeah, yes, this is the time. Okay, so um, when you think of a shield, what, what comes to your, uh, your mind right now? 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, this Asian dude cannot hear that all at once. All right, so what? what, what? Oh, a big shield. Yeah, that's nice, right? That, that, that's, that's actually kind of when you see that word around. It's not on the side of me. It's not on the left of me. It's not behind me. It's, not, it's actually completely engulfing me. That's God. What else do you think of when you hear the word shield? Protection, protection right, a protector. Someone who actually protects. And in fact, that is actually true in kind of the medieval ancient times. This is a full armor. You bring that into battle. You don't leave that off to the side. And in fact, that's how, that's how David is starting to see this, that God is a God who actually protects and fights and protects, but it only makes sense, that God's deliverance only makes sense when you invite him into the dark, difficult spaces that you don't want anyone to know about. Not even God. I mean, we are very good about bifurcating our lives. We do school over here, and then we do God over here. We do work and, and all the mess that could happen around the work and the politics of work, but then we do God over here. Maybe on Sunday, maybe in our midweek groups, we're really good at separating God from the things in our lives that we actually need him to be in, but the shield doesn't work unless he's in the battle with us, right? Are you capturing that? He knows that the call here, how we engage, is a call to trust God in the most difficult spaces. Now, if you're like me in any way, or if you've gone to church for a while, or if you're brand new to this whole thing, right, this whole thing called faith and religion and Christianity, okay, you're probably thinking, when, when you hear the word trust, that feels pretty abstract sometimes. Conceptually, you can kind of understand that, but what does that, does that actually mean? And he brings this out in beautiful phrases. After he says, but you are our Lord, uh, but you are shield around me, he says, but you are my glory, the one who lifts my head high in verse 3. You're my glory. What does it mean when he says, you're my glory in verse 3? It means that he has found, ultimately, his worth in God, in who he is, and not what others are thinking of him and not what others are saying about him. That his full identity... His full self, he's surrendering to God and his beauty and his glory, right? Because, right, when you think of glory, you have to think of God who is perfect and holy and expressing himself and all that majesty and all that beauty and all that love to us through us. And that's where, that's where David realizes he can begin to trust God when he's beginning to give his full self to him. Not renounce his will, because if he does that, he's just a robot. But if he, if he gives his full self, to God. Now he can be transformed and find his ultimate worth in this God that Exodus 32 33 says it's the steadfast, loving God who has loved him and generations thereafter and, and beyond, giving his full self. And it's only in that place, right, where he sees all this glory that he can now stop staring down because he doesn't know what to do. He's so downcast that he can now lift his head and see what's in front of him again. But that's what trust looks like for David, and it is for us. You know, this glory, I was talking about um, <laughs> the Hope Diamond, and uh, my, my uh, nine-year-old Miles was sitting next to me, and we were looking at this Hope Diamond, and it was circling, and, and Miles is like, uh, Dad, how many carrots is that? I think I said, I think it's like 45, 46 carrots. And he's like, I don't even know what a carrot is. That's a lot. And then he's like, hey, Dad, how big is mom's ring? All right, now, this is a moment where I have two, two options. One, I could lie, 
Or I could tell the truth um, or just completely dismiss him. And I kind of do all, all of it together. And I said, well, Miles, mom's rings, one carat, round, round it up. <laughs> right? Like, and you know how some people are like, they use their expressions and they tell you everything without saying anything? Miles is like, oh, well, that's nice. And then kind of makes a run for it. And it's a little bit true, like, it comes with all my love. We were just starting out 22 years ago, right? We were just, whatever I could afford, I was buying and putting, putting it on her finger because I just wanted to marry her so badly. And, I, but, and as much as it has all my love, it just doesn't compare to this diamond we're staring at. And in the same way, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the things that we want in this world. There's nothing wrong with wanting certain things in our lives, right? Like the stuff at school that we get, like the teams we're trying to make, the colleges we want to get into, the grades we're trying to achieve, that pressure you feel when you're, when you're in academia and you're trying to get to the next level, or those other things that you want so badly in your life, the assets, the homes, the things in your careers, the retirement, all the accolades you could possibly get or the social media likes on your next post. Nothing really wrong with all of that, but it all pales into comparison, this hope that David is experiencing with God and knows. And so he says, I find my worth, this glorious hope that I find in God. Now to engage that, to start that, he does his thing and he says in verse 4, and if we put that up there, it says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I, let, right, I, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. You know, like, I mean, I don't know what you imagine there, but I, I do imagine him speaking out and having a conversation with God with all his stuff, with all his emotions, with all the crap that's not working out right. Oh, can I say crap here? Sorry. Um, all that stuff that doesn't work out here in, in his life. He's, like, trying to figure it out. He just comes before God and just... Just, just has his conversations. That's what I imagine David doing at this moment. Totally raw, totally emotionally honest before God with all this stuff that isn't working out. I totally think that's happening. But when you hear and see the word mountain, the holy mountain, especially during King David's reign, you have to understand he's probably referring also to Mount Zion, where the temple of God is, where the ark is, where his presence is. And I want to show you what is really happening to David, active-wise, where he's actually engaging God. Can you go to this, uh, I'm nerding out here now, this topography uh, picture of Jerusalem? Yes! Oh my gosh, it's so big. Just... <laughs> All right, so um, David is, see, see where Moriah is? That's probably what, what we now know as Zion, right? But that's where the temple is, and that's where the presence is. And David is in this moment in 2 Samuel, right, verse, uh, chapter 14, 15, 16. He's actually going through the Kidron of Valley now. He's, he's making a run for it. And he crosses the brook of the Kidron, uh, Kidron Valley, and he's moving his way. Those buildings were there. He moves his way up the Mount of Olives, and he's moving up to summoning the Mount of Olives. I imagine him, this is super generous. I know this is a super generous interpretation, but I imagine him looking out at the presence of God and saying, oh, my gosh, I'm moving away from the best place I need to be right now. I think he's saying to himself, what am I doing right now? I'm trying to solve all these things by escaping, running, trying to figure out what I can do. He's got advisors trying to give him counsel. But he needs to go back 
to the mount where his presence is. He knows only in the presence of God is the real answer going to happen or where he's going to discover his peace that he needs or the thing that he needs to get to the next level or the next thing he needs to do. And it says here, he calls out and he gets answers. He gets answers. So it's a very active thing. It's not like this thing where he just, it's not static. He's not just sitting around wondering what's happening. He's actually trying, desperately seeking out God who is there and willing to answer him. Some of us in this space right now are really looking for answers. You're trying to figure out what's next. You've been in some tough situations. And right now, what you really need are answers. And what David is showing us here is that as we call on him, as we trust him, giving our full selves to him, that, those answers come when we seek his presence out on a daily basis and we actively engage him. Stop trying to escape things. Try to go back into that with God and invite him into that space. That's ultimately how. And when this happens, oh, this is amazing for David, who's been on the run for days. And actually, when you look at 2 Samuel, it's probably a couple of years He says this in verse 5, I lay down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. It's like that number gets bigger and bigger, right? How many are assailing him? I think most commentaries think that there's a lot of hyperbole going on there, but that's how he feels. It's how he feels. It may not be the most accurate, but that's how David feels in this moment. And yet, he sleeps like a baby. (laughs) You see, isn't the true measure of someone who is experiencing God's salvation or deliverance, whatever you want to describe it, is, is that one experiences peace? That there is this, in his presence, this rest that you cannot explain, but that you are able to achieve and accomplish? doesn't mean your circumstances are perfect yet. It certainly doesn't mean that everything relationally is working out in your life. Or even the financial circumstances you find yourself, it doesn't mean that all that has suddenly corrected itself, but that somehow David in this moment is sleeping and waking again. Now think about David for a moment. Just David doesn't know if he's going to wake up the next day or not. And people are trying to kill him. So he doesn't sleep well at night, right? I mean, ever been sleepless... <laughs> Because you know there's something that is just so hard for you and you're not sure how to overcome it or what to do next or what God wants of you next. You're just tossing and churning. It could be something that you have to do the next day at school, a test, a conversation you have to have that you just don't want to have. I mean, I, those conversations are hard. Or maybe, yeah, it's, um, you know, a scenario inside your, your home where you're just not sure how to get things right. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I googled sleepless nights and here are the images that came up. Dun, dun, dun. Yo, man, that guy looks bloody, but that's not how it really looks on the right side there. Um, but man, maybe that's how he feels. Um, yeah, I don't know if one of these in any way 
speaks to you. But I think I was the sticky master a few months ago. That was me. Where I just felt like I had so much going on and I felt like every next move was so critical that if I didn't get it right, I was, I was failing. Just utterly failing if I didn't get certain things right. And I really do like stickies, so that's a problem. But maybe you're the person um, down below where, like, you know, it's a swirl here and it's lost and maybe and yes and never. I'm, I'm stuck and, right, like that, that person certainly is, I think, how we all to some degree feel. I don't, I don't know why the Asian dude has his eyes open, but that dude is working right now. He's trying not to work, but he's working. But don't you want to be the center picture? I mean, seriously, first of all, I want to be the baby in that, but actually, I just want to be black because black people look so cool when they sleep. Look at this. Look at this Asian dude over here. This is my brother over here on my right. He doesn't look very cool, but this guy over here, yes. I want to be this guy here. I'm just going to call it out. Even when they're sleeping, they look awesome. But man, look at the baby in that picture. Right? That baby has no control over anything at all. The child can do nothing. It can't even feed itself. It can't walk. It can't do a single thing. And yet, it sleeps so well in the father's arms. Completely safe in his presence. Not a, not a thing to worry about. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to wake up again. And I think David is saying that picture... That picture is the picture that David experiences in this moment because he realizes at this moment he is truly free. That despite what is happening around him, the outcomes don't ultimately define him. The grades you get won't ultimately, you get, won't ultimately define you. The promotion you want doesn't ultimately, right, doesn't ultimately own you. Or that thing you thought you needed to do and you totally biffed it and messed up. That, that outcome, that outcome right there for work or that contract you thought was going to really make it or make, break it, that, that doesn't ultimately matter in your life because what you have is you have this God that you surrendered your life to who is absolutely telling you, I love you. Isn't it true that things that we love and want so badly are the things that ultimately cause us the most suffering and hurt? It's hard. And David says, gosh, I've, I'm trusting you, I'm experiencing you, and now as I seek your presence, I find these answers, and I'm sleeping and resting again. And that's when we know we are saved. And here's what comes out of all of this. Is, um, he says uh, in verse 7, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty raw conversation. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. But do you see this, these words here, arise? It's a complete reversal from the first few verses where God may have been dead. But now he says, no. I know he's not. He's with me. I've been with him. 
and tell him, arise. Be a part of this situation. Arise, because you're not dead. Resurrect me in this scenario with you, because I need you. And he can say that with an extraordinary confidence. And I think that is really ultimately the stunning conclusion here, is that this peace, this transforming peace that we have, creates this incredible confidence. Incredible confidence. To tackle the things that are before us. And to step into those things, knowing full well that God does actually save that he can and will save us. Lift your head. Lift your head. You have a God who has offered him fully to you, access to him. This next week, um, I'll give you a 30-second challenge. <laughs> Here's a 30-second challenge, okay? Would you pray this? Maybe here, we could start now. I trust you, Lord. I give my full self to you. I surrender my full self to you. Take it all. I trust you, Lord. I surrender my full self to you. Take it all. Whatever that all is, whatever that all might be for you, whatever all that you are experiencing, whatever anxiety you feel, whatever pain you're struggling with or, or encountering or experiencing, would you, just, would you just let those words saturate whatever situation you're in and just say, I trust you, Lord. I surrender my full self to you. Take it all. And as you do that, in his presence, do not be surprised if you experience a kind of peace kind of rest you haven't in days and weeks. For some of us in this space, maybe months and years. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and we're going to take from the table. We're going to take communion. And this is table is where I really believe, we believe that Jesus surrendered his life for us to God on our behalf. And this cup, which represents the blood that was broke, shed for you, and the, and, the, and the bread that represents the body broken for us, represents what, what surrender looks like. And he did that so that we could be, what, forgiven for all the brokenness and sin. Uh, that which was done in the past, that is what is going on now. And even the stuff that we're going to do. And remember, sin is not just this stuff that we do wrong or it's not right because of us, but often because of the stuff that is going on around us. You know, sometimes it's the stuff that's done to us that, that actually creates most of the brokenness in our lives. It certainly was for David in this moment. And so maybe you can come to the table and understand that the God who has surrendered himself to you, that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could be called what? The children of God and the seal of that salvation is what the Holy Spirit that now is dwelling inside you and, and me. That we don't have to go to a Mount Zion or, or call out from a mountaintop to find Him, but that He is act, that we're actually, Scripture says, living temples. That we can engage God here and now by turning to Him. I trust you, Lord. I trust you.
trust you, Lord. I, I surrender my full self to you. Take it all. And as you do that, you come and you take and you surrender yourself here because that's the active engagement that we have here this morning. And then as you take, understand that, that God is creating peace in your life. So when you're ready, come. Come. Take from the table. And um, experience God and his peace for you. Let me pray for us and we'll worship. Jesus, thank you for everything, Father. Thank you for everything, Spirit. Thank you for everything. We, we trust you. We surrender our full selves to you. Our entire beings, you are our glory. You are our lifter of our heads. You are our hope. Take it all. Take everything. Everything, God. We love you, God. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.